This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, a great weekend in Philadelphia turned sour by a ridiculous comment. The San Diego Seals dive in and make a massive splash in SoCal. The Colorado Mammoth continue to struggle at home. Reggie Thorpe is off to Long Island. And Clem, Ben, and Pat stop by. All that more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and the interwebs around the world. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Teddy Jenner. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Have had some absolutely wonderful conversations with lacrosse people throughout my Rolodex. Just much spurred by the events that happened Saturday night in Philadelphia. But thankfully, so many other positive conversations have been had, are being had, and will continue to be had as we move past the incidents from Philadelphia, which we'll briefly touch on. But I don't like to give these types of news stories momentum. Unfortunately, and I think positively from Saturday night, the biggest thing that we can all do is become more educated and take some time to learn about the great history, the great heritage and lineage of our sport and many of the athletes that play our sport currently. As mentioned off the top, Clem Durazio of the New England Black Wolves, their D coach, also uh, the GM of the Toronto Beaches, will stop by. Ben McIntosh of the Saskatchewan Rush checks in. Um, If you follow anybody on the Saskatchewan Rush on social media, then you would have seen the multiple similar camera angles off the balcony of the Western Bayshore in downtown Vancouver. Um, Ben and I joke about that, but in a day and age of social media and instant access phones, when you get 20 lacrosse players, Put them in a swank hotel in downtown Vancouver right along the water, Coal Harbor area. Release them onto their balconies with their phones. You're bound to get maybe one or two very similar videos posted. Well, of all the people that were in my Snapchat that are members of the Saskatchewan Rush, I believe 80% of them all snapped the same photo all at the same time and all got each other in the video at the same time. It was classic and just boys being boys. And, of course, our weekly chat with Pat Gregoire. Patty and I will discuss the improved, much improved, and sort of red-hot New England Black Wolves. We'll discuss the idea of Austin Stotts already being a superstar. And in week six, we'll finally get to see some teams play two games in one weekend And will the NLL-specific trend of back-to-back teams being successful continue? So we'll touch on a lot of things. Um, We'll get to the Reggie Thorpe news as he has become the general manager and head coach of the yet-to-be-named New York NLL team on Long Island. And through his announcement and appointment, um, I got some great information from Paul Day, Uh, He and I 
throw weird stuff back and forth to each other, and he's always good for um, some very mind-bending thought processes. Um, and he dropped some knowledge on me uh, today, and I just kind of want to share with you. It's kind of cool just to see. We've sort of talked about it before in the dynamic of people who are coaching in the National Lacrosse League now and their lineage. It gets a little deeper um, with Paul Dade during our text messages, so I'll relay that information with you as well. But as the weekend went on, news started to spread, and there were so many good stories from this weekend. And before we get into Philadelphia, let's go back and listen to what were some of the best sounds from the weekend. Thompson, hitch move, shot goal. He is lethal. And Randy Stotts comes off the roll, uses his size, protects his stick. What a play. Clutch. McCardle drives, splits, shot, saved Dylan Ward. Give him 50 on the night. That's a career high. Noble gets a pick and pivots. Over to McLaughlin, drive, shoot, scores! Far side bouncer, Eli, he's got a pair and it's back to a one goal game. Eight on the shot clock, man open, Hellier shoots it, scores! Colorado would have had a break the other way, it turned into a reset for Toronto, Hellier left all alone, it's back to a two goal game. Get it done. What a goal there. It's Riley O'Connor again. And it's 7-3. Two on one with Doby. Doby takes the pass and scores. Dane Doby hat trick goal. Vintage Dane Doby. And it's 8-4. Now here they go again looking for a breakaway. What a pass. In scores. Picture perfect pass all the way down the floor. It's 12-4, Colton Watkinson with a purdy goal. There's a breakaway the other way. Zorichetti scores the first in the history of the Seals here in San Diego on the breakaway. Here's Stotts working his way in and scoring underneath the armpit of the goalkeeper, Angus Goodleaf. Seals keep it seven to shoot, and there's a goal from Stotts. Seals by two. Stotts taking over late. Now Jones looking for the hat trick, and he's got it. Great screen, freed up some space for Vince Jones, and it's a 10 9 game with 12 15 to go in the morning. Robert Church, the Coquitlam native, back to McIntosh, across the floor to Matthews, who shoots and scores. Perfect bounce shot between the legs of Penny. She's gonna pick it up with a gaping net. Corbeal throws it towards McIntosh, looking for his fifth, and he scores. Ben McIntosh makes it 14-9 with under three minutes to play. Just some of the fantastic action from week five in the National Lacrosse League. 
And there were so many great stories that came out of the National Lacrosse League this weekend. Eli McLaughlin scoring his 100th in the NLL. Unfortunately, Nick Rose and the Toronto Rock were able to outlast Colorado in a classic game in Denver. Over 11,000 people are able to see the first professional lacrosse game in San Diego, and they get to see the hometown Seals win 12-10 on the back of Austin Stotts, who I do believe can be already declared a burgeoning superstar in this league. Philadelphia and Georgia went down to the wire, a 13-11 game in front of a massive crowd in Philadelphia. They were there for... The lacrosse, they were there for the lax convention. They were there for an incredible evening, and they were treated to an absolutely fantastic game. Vancouver and Saskatchewan, another game that was a one-goal game at one point in that fourth quarter, only to see the rush just kind of finally put their foot back on the gas pedal and able to outlast Vancouver. And then New England have now won two straight, Knock off Calgary after knocking off Saskatchewan in their second game of the year. And you just look around the NLL. The crowds were great. The games were great. The players on the field continue to showcase what is the greatest sport in the world. And it's unfortunate that so much of that has been clouded by the words that came out of the mouth of the in-arena announcer in Philadelphia. There is no room in sports or society for racism or ignorance of that level. I applaud the NLL and the Wings for um, making quick reaction to this, putting out statements, taking... um, quick measures to rectify the situation. And as many have pointed out, while we can put our arms up and be in shock and awe over what happened, and rightfully so, we must take time to use this moment to educate not only those that were at fault, those that said the outrageous and outlandish things towards one of the most humble, passionate, giving, dedicated lacrosse players and people I have ever met. We must educate ourselves as well. And so I implore so many of you, take some time, hop onto YouTube, and just do some research on the Haudenosaunee on the indigenous people who played the cross hundreds of years ago for so many different reasons than what we play the game for today. Listening to Lax Classified today, Jake Elliott tells an incredible story about how the Haudenosaunee National Anthem that we all familiarize with the Iroquois Nationals came to be and how it is a song that was and is very lacrosse-focused and centered, and the version that we all hear and have mostly heard before at lacrosse games was sung by the great Orrin Lyons. And was recorded, apparently, at Abbey Road. 
Did any of us know that? Probably none of us. Maybe the odd few actually knows the true story. And probably none of us would ever know that if we weren't put in this situation. For his efforts, Lyle has been incredible under all of this light. He has, as expected, stood tall, stood proud of who he is, his heritage, his lineage, and most importantly, his braid. He's not trying to see himself as a victim. He jokingly is passing it off saying, I can't believe this is happening. Damn Daniel. He could easily have just gone off of his wall. Heck, he could have like stopped in the middle of that game and gone at that guy. Obviously, that's to an extreme, but he has held himself with such class in all of this. I'm not sure how many people could be handling it as well as he is, but it just goes to show that we can learn from this moment. So, please, take some time. Go talk to elders in your area. If you live in an area that are near Native American reservations. Hop on YouTube. Go to your local library. Grab your tablet. Do some reading and do some educating. Not just for you, but for those that you are around and for those that you will eventually come across during your travels across the universe throughout your time in and amongst the lacrosse world. Because... Now I can tell the story of how that anthem came to be. In the day and age of society that we are in now, it's shocking that we have to deal with this, but I'm proud of how the lacrosse world has rallied around Lyle Thompson, his brothers, his family, his people, his heritage. And we will become stronger and better for it. It's just unfortunate that we had to have this discussion when everything else that happened this weekend was so incredible. So let's grow, let's learn, and let's move on. Clem Durazio of the New England Black Wolves is their defensive coach. He took over for Jim Veltman when he stepped aside from the organization a couple years ago, and Clem has fit in very nicely. Clem was brought on by Glenn Clark and company to initially be the video coach for the club. Glenn and Clem go back to their time with the Toronto Beaches Junior A Club. They're still there working together, so there is lots of familiarity. And to bring him in was a natural fit. And once Jimmy Veltman left, Clem slid in, has done a wonderful job. And the players have really taken to him, have a lot of respect for him, and really enjoy his coaching style. Well, after dropping their first game to the Swarm, 
and they'll get a rematch with them this weekend. The Black Wolves have knocked off both the Saskatchewan Rush and the Calgary Roughnecks in back-to-back weekends. So in our conversation, the first question I ask Clem is how much fun is it to be a part of this club right now? Uh, it's really exciting. You know, I've uh, been a part of the organization for four years, and it's uh, it's trending in the right direction. Every year we, we keep finding new ways to, to keep improving, so it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. You've really enjoyed this uh, promotion of sorts to being on the bench. Um, how are you getting along as a, a coach in the National Lacrosse League? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was super exciting when the opportunity presented itself two years ago. Um, you know, kind of uh, worked myself in the first year and I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable now. So it's just been uh, a great, uh, great ride so far. And, and I'm really enjoying working with the staff and, and obviously the team. What did you learn? Um, maybe some people don't know the progression that you've made to get into the NLL. Uh, obviously, you're working with the Toronto Beaches junior team as a GM there and as an assistant coach, and, and now you become a video coordinator for, for the Black Wolves. Now you move on to the bench. What have you learned in your progression as a coach throughout your time uh, in, the, in the lacrosse world? I think the, the biggest lesson is that I'm always going to keep learning. Um, yeah. You know, if you come to that, that point where you feel like you know it all, I think that's when you might have to let it go. And, you know, being a young coach, as long as I keep that open mind that I need to keep learning and keep understanding new ideas and new concepts, um, that's probably the number one thing I've learned from it. And then, you know, the second part of that is, is just learning how to handle yourself as a coach at, at all different levels and, and needing to wear different hats at all different levels. Obviously, working with a guy like Glenn Clark, who comes with the nickname the Professor, um, allows you to learn quite a bit. How has he helped you in your maturation process? Yeah, I, I think his maturity uh, and, and you know living the life of the NLL player and, and as a coach, you know, I'm just trying to learn everything I can from him. Um, we have a pretty strong working relationship because we're together about ten months a year, working together in the beaches and, and with New England. Um, so, you know, I just try and pick up the, the tidbits he, he drops and, you know, the pregame speeches and the way he goes about his business and his expectation he puts on coaches. I just try to take it all in as much as possible and then hopefully apply it to my own coaching uh, outside of, of the Black Wolves or the Beaches. What is your coaching philosophy? Obviously, you do wear many hats, but what would you say your, your coaching mindset is? Uh, it, it's it's player-based, um, mm-hmm. obviously, you like to win and you want to win and, you know, being task oriented is important, but, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a people person, I think, and, you know, relationship orientation is a big part of, uh, of working. And I think if you can draw a fine line between the two, you can find success, um, you know, in the process of, of the game itself. You guys are, are on a bit of a winning streak yourselves. Uh, talk about the game this weekend in Calgary and how important it was, for your club to, to string wins together against two very talented Western clubs? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a week to week thing. Uh, you know, we, we just kind of look at the schedule and, and take it that way. Um, the Saskatchewan game was obviously a, a good emotional win for us. Uh, kind of puts us in, into a conversation that we can now play with those teams and people within our organization can believe that from the players all the way up to to ownership, you know, everyone's kind of got that belief that uh, we can compete with anyone and, and beat anyone in this league. Um, and then just the momentum keeps rolling when, when we went into Calgary this weekend and um, everything just worked. So that, that was definitely a nice thing. And we're seeing the process uh, come into play here and, and it's, it's working right now, but we have to 
to stay focused and keep going week to week here because it's uh, it's a tough league to get wins in, and every week is uh, important. You know, this weekend coming up, we have we have Georgia, so arguably the, the best team in the league according to their record right now. And we lost them week one, so we obviously want to get some redemption there. Let's focus on your end of the bench and the defensive group of guys. Uh, how impressed have you been with Greg Downing? Greg is awesome. I mean, that's the way I have to look at it. Um, he brings that uh, the maturity of a guy that's been in the league. He uh, he works his butt off every time he's on the floor, and he works with the people around him. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, this weekend, he was awesome. He actually, you know, internally, he won our player of the game, um, and it was well-deserved in that game. Uh, you know, I don't have enough nice things to say about Greg. He, 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 he handles himself like a pro. And it shows, it shows in his play. Uh, early on, Adam Bomberry has allowed himself to stand out as one of your top D guys. Uh, a young guy that has box experience, uh, but his jump to the NLL has been quite nice. Yeah, I, you know, Bomber's another guy that uh, I don't have enough nice things to say about him. Um, he's the silent assassin. You know, he just shows up, does his job, checks in, checks out, um, and, and he does a really good job at it. Um, he works well with the guys around him, and he can kind of bring a little bit of everything. I mean, if you watched uh, the game in, in Saskatchewan, uh, even in Georgia, you know, he, he was the guy that got things started. Sorry, it was the, the Georgia game. Uh, he transitioned the ball, stayed on offense, set a big pick and roll. We scored a goal, and then all of a sudden, boom, the offense got going that way. And he, he does that in the back end, too, by making really good stops, picking off passes. Um, he, he's just a guy that does all the little things right that, that adds to the team's success. You seem to be a guy that doesn't like to say bad things about people, but give me one bad thing about David Brock. David Brock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I do like Brocky. Um, David Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have much bad to say about Brocky. You know, he likes to do his own thing. Maybe, maybe that's a bad thing. But at, the same, <laughs> at the same time, Brocky, you know, gets the job done and, and the boys rally around him. So, you know, he kind of maybe he's a little bit of a silent assassin too. You know, the guys yeah. uh, the guys want to be around him, and he kind of keeps his arm length at times, but then he brings them right in. Uh, I was just fucking Brock. He's a, a good friend of the show, and it, he's just one of those, like you said, a very silent type. Goes about his business. And is that kind of a, an mo of your D group? Many guys, you know, may not be in the conversation, say for defender of the year, or maybe one of the top four or five defenders in the league. But you have a great group of guys that just believe in each other. Uh, yeah, I think that's it at, at the end of the day. I mean, these guys have bought into to what we're asking. They've brought their own ideas uh, into the conversation. Um, we do have our internal leaders. But, I mean, if you look down our roster, a lot of these guys have worn letters on their jerseys, whether it be in minor, junior, or even at, at the pro level. Um and it's a it's a collective mind. It's not just one person, you know, as a coach or as a, a captain saying we got to do it this way. It's, it's each guy buys in, and uh, it, it's been good so far, and we hopefully keep building on it. Dougie Jameson was fantastic this weekend for you. How important is it for you to get him playing time as a young goaltender to help build his confidence? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those positions that uh, – it's it's a sensitive spot, you know. I don't like talking to goalies before games, uh, <laughs> but uh, but Dougie, you know, he he's put his time in. He had a very good summer for himself in Six Nations, and uh, you know, this is an opportunity where he's he's in net right now. He's played two of three, um, and he got his first win. And I, you know, I think with 
the pedigree he has. And, you know, if you look back, I think he's the winningest goalie in junior history. I mean, mm-hmm. don't quote me, but a couple founders and a few Mintos. Um, that's almost unheard of for any junior player, let alone a goalie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he has the pedigree and everything's there. Now it's just putting it all together and hopefully defensively we can help him uh, keep growing that confidence. You mentioned uh, the game against Georgia this weekend. You, when you look back at tape from week one, um, how has your team changed and what can you learn from that game against Georgia to start the year? Uh, I think uh, I think the light bulb kind of went off near the end of that game in the fourth quarter. And then, you know, everyone kind of went, oh, we're here. We can play with anyone. And, you know, now we go into week two and we get that win against Ask. And week three, we, we build more confidence. So I think it's going to come down to, to confidence. And obviously execution uh, is the key piece to, to us having success on the floor. Georgia, obviously uh, the top team at 4-0, you mentioned possibly probably the best team in the National Coffee right now. How do you slow a team like that down to make sure that you guys are in the best position to come away with your third straight win? We have to we have to be methodical and stick to our game plan. You know, it's a, it's a game of mistakes, and if we can limit those, and like I said there just before, if we execute at the level we know we can and we, we've proven we can, uh, we're going to find success. And I think that goes for any team we play against. Uh, obviously, as a D coach, I got uh, my task ahead of me of shutting down probably one of the best right sides in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, with Ed Williams is starting to pick up his scoring now too, so it even adds more of a dynamic to that right side. Um, so we have to we have to be uh, strategic there and, and stick to the game plan of, of playing our defensive system. You've mentioned a couple times uh, so far you're not just a member of the New England staff, but you're also part of the Toronto Beaches Junior A program, uh, an up-and-coming program that has made some strides over the past years. Um, what's it like on the beach these days? Uh, there's good buzz around the organization, uh, you know, from our ownership uh, down to even our minors. There, there's a, a really good buzz around and a positive culture that's being built there. Um, you know, winning obviously helps with that. The the team hasn't won a playoff series in 15 years up until last year, and we finally got that done. And now we're trying to put the pieces in place to to take the next step. And hopefully, for the guys that have been with us, this is our we're going into our fifth year, and we have a handful or more guys that we started in year one as rookies, and we knew we'd take our lumps then. But uh, hopefully, their maturation has taken place, and we can take that next step and be in the conversation for an OLA championship and a Minto and all those things. What's the key to building that kind of strong culture, especially in the junior junior ranks? Yeah, I think it differs team by team um, based on, you know, your minors and the ability to have kids in there. Uh, at the end of the day, we want good people. Um, mm-hmm. And if you, have, if you have good people, you, you can do a lot with them. Um, a lot of teaching goes on, a lot of video. Uh, Mike McKay does our, our video and our, our defensive coach, and obviously, you know, Clarkey, uh, at the at the helm kind of sets the tone for everyone and keeps the temperature where it needs to be. Um, so that that's where it starts is, is the people and, and those kind of guys making sure it works. And then when these kids are good, they're building a good culture there and, and they're enjoying playing there. Um, our ownership takes care of the kids. Uh, we're started up with billeting and, and things like that to now be able to bring in guys from, you know, both ends of Ontario uh, and even, you know, potentially bring in an American guy or two in this year. Speak to me about uh, the Everest program that you guys have at the Everest Academy. Everyone knows about the Hill Academy and, and, and the things that they've done there. Um, I truly had never heard of the Everest Academy. Um, 
what is it that makes that group of kids so special? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a prep school for athletes. Uh, we focus on lacrosse, hockey, golf, uh, soccer, and baseball. So we have a good dynamic here where it's like-minded people within the classroom, within the workouts, and on the field. Um, kids can specialize in their programming. Um, they can also go and play multiple sports within our school. Uh, and then we do, you know, we focus really hard on our academics. Uh, being a young school, I think that's something we have to pride ourselves on when we're we're up against, you know, the school you mentioned and some of the other big collegiates that are in the, the Toronto area. Um, so we're trying to focus on those those types of things to make sure that our, our kids are successful at the next level. And we've seen it so far, not just on the field or on the ice, but uh, as people, we're, you know, being a young school, we're starting to see kids graduate now and getting quality jobs. So that's, that's probably the important part is how we set them up for not just the four years after us, but, uh, you know, the multiple years after us. Are you starting to see more sports-specific schools um, growing in the in the Ontario region? Yeah, I, I mean, hockey is uh, the bread and butter of Ontario. It, almost every kid plays hockey. It feels like, uh, specifically in the, the Greater Toronto area. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, there's a lot of hockey schools that are, are popping up, and then now you're starting to see some development type schools where they go to lacrosse right after school, or they go to you know soccer or basketball. Um, and hockey, uh, where they work out and train on the field. Um, so it is popping up. I think there's a, a high demand for it um, because these kids want to take their game to the next level. And, I mean, where else can you get four or five days a week where you've you got a hockey stick or a lacrosse stick in your hand uh, and working on skills? I think that's a, an awesome opportunity for any young athlete to be able to not only improve themselves um, academically but athletically as well. And I know the Everest – uh, school is doing a great job of that. Clem, it's uh, been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, good luck against Georgia this weekend. I'm sure everyone around the NLL would like to see you guys hand them their first loss of the year. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, hopefully uh, hopefully, Patty Gregoire still picks against us and we'll keep, <laughs> keep that rolling. There is. That's Clem Durazio of the New England Black Wolves. They play the Georgia Swarm this weekend in one of a handful of games across the National Lacrosse League, and if you like lacrosse, this is a very, very busy weekend. And for the first time, we're going to start to see teams play doubleheaders. And we'll get into that with Patty Gregoire in mere minutes, but the games this weekend start on Friday. Georgia, Toronto, Calgary, San Diego. Both of those games are going to be incredible. Toronto's Three and one. They've won their last two games. Georgia, obviously, 4 0, the only undefeated team left in the NLL. A battle for first in the NLL East kicks us off on Friday night. Calgary and San Diego are only separated by a half game. And if San Diego can win that, technically, they would be the number one team in the East. Based on games played, they'd be three and two. How crazy would that be? This is a big weekend for San Diego. This is a big weekend for a lot of teams because on Saturday, Georgia's got to leave Toronto, get down to New England to play the Black Wolves. Philadelphia's at Buffalo. Rochester takes on Saskatchewan. And then San Diego has to go up the coast, cross the border, and take on the Vancouver Warriors. 
Two wins this weekend will propel San Diego possibly to the number one team in the NLL. And then Sunday, Calgary at Colorado, a game that is now become a massive red circle on the calendar for the Mammoth and their fans. You couldn't have paid me to take a bet at the start of the year that said Colorado would be 0-3 on the risk of being 0-4 after six weeks in the National Cross League. You couldn't have paid me to take that bet. And yet here we are. And there are a lot of things to dissect when you look at the Colorado Mammoth and things that could be hampering them. And if you read any comments from Pat Coyle over the weekend, um, you would see where his mindset is. Uh, One of the main quotes he said after the game, I'm mad. Plain and simple. And I don't blame him. This is a team that is underachieving massively. You can go back to the first game against San Diego and just see that something hasn't been right from the get-go. And this was a club that only brought in two new faces to their roster. Call it three if you bring in Dan Coates, who didn't play last year. But John Lentz and Julian Garitano are the only two players on the starting 20-man roster for the Mammoth that haven't played a game for the Mammoth. And Lentz has been in every game since coming over to the club. So the biggest change that the club has made was on the bench, with Pat Coyle becoming a true solo head coach standing in the middle, controlling things. Andy McBride was brought in to run the defense. Sean Williams brought in to run the offense. Game one against San Diego, neither side of the ball was any good. The next game out against Calgary, they made the necessary adjustments on the defensive end. They took out a wrinkle that they put in to try to, that they thought was going to work. It didn't. They got exploited. They fixed it. And since that game, defensively, they've been much better. Sure, giving up 67 shots probably isn't the greatest stat to have. But in the last two games, they've given up less than 11, less than 12 goals. And usually, that's going to win you lacrosse games. That's most teams' goal. You talk to any coach, they say, we want to hold teams to under 12. We should be able to win games if we do that. Unfortunately, the time that Colorado did score 12, they gave up 17. And so, in that first game that was a shootout, while their offense put up 12, they were very sloppy. In the Calgary game, they were sloppy. In the Toronto game this past weekend, they were better, but there was still a lot of sloppiness. And I think the biggest hurdle that this group has to go over is trying to find the cohesion between the seven guys that are running out the front door and the system that Sean Williams is trying to get them to play. 
Now, I don't think they need to reinvent the wheel, but I think they just need to find something that's going to flip the switch with that group and their relationship with Sean Williams. Because the offense just doesn't seem to have the jam that it has had in years past. This offense needs somebody to be able to take control, hold guys accountable, and rise up and be an on-floor leader. Both with the ball and with their voice. And unfortunately, this team is lacking that right now. And I'm not saying they don't have it within the room. But somebody needs to be able to stand up and take control. Because in game one, Ryan Banesh was great. In game two, it was Jeremy Noble. In game three, it was Eli McLaughlin and Jacob Rue. Which is great when you have different guys contributing, but you need different guys contributing every night. And unfortunately, it's just not happening. And with Calgary coming into town on Sunday, there is a true chance that this club could be 0-4, have lost three games within the division, and already lost the season series with their arch rivals, Calgary. And then after this weekend, they have to go to Vancouver, they go to Buffalo, then they go to Philadelphia before coming home to face Georgia, who could be like, 6-0 and by that point, 7-0, and and then take on Saskatchewan. One of the biggest things that hurt this club was that massive break between their first game and their second game. I also don't think playing four games in a row at home is going to benefit them. Obviously, it hasn't, but usually playing at home is where this team succeeds, and they haven't been good at home in the first three weeks. So Colorado needs to truly figure this out. And Jamie Shuchuk and I talked about this uh, on the post-game show with the Mammoth on Saturday night. We still don't think it's panic button time. The panic button's starting to light up. Nobody's pressing it quite yet. But if they go 0-4 this weekend en route to a game against Vancouver next weekend, that button's going to get a lot brighter and there's going to be a lot more people wanting to press it. The true saving grace for the Mammoth right now is that Vancouver's not exactly pulling away from them. And so if they can get a win this weekend and then when they go into Vancouver, a chance to climb the standings, this team can turn things around. And I truly think it can be that simple. In that if they just get that first win, get the monkey off the back, get the ball rolling, then this team can relax. They can get a little swag back. They can move forward with the plan that was to be one of the dominant teams in the NLL. Unfortunately, they just don't look like it right now. And the Sunday afternoon with all eyes on Colorado against the Calgary Roughnecks. That'll be a very big game for the Colorado Mammoth.
take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoking Pat. It was a exciting weekend in the National Lacrosse. There were so many great stories. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to touch on three of them with you this weekend. And I know you want to start with the New England Black Wolves. Uh, they came off with a huge win in Calgary. Now they beat two of the top teams in the West. Is this a team that can compete with the top teams in the East? I think that they already have. I think they've proven that. I think that, you know what, are the New England Black Wolves the most powerful team in the east probably not you know are they considered a contender probably not uh, but are they a, a dark horse that people should pay attention to absolutely this is a team that i think when they play a complete team game uh, they are very very hard to beat uh, you know from top to bottom uh, when they buy into their team's coaching uh, the coaching staff's uh you know, game plan and, and team identity. This is a this is a very good team up front offensively. I mean, obviously Callum Crawford is, is their number one guy, uh, but you have so many other pieces throughout the each game. It just it seems like one or two different guys step up every single game. They have so much depth, and it's the way that they play offense. They play fast, and when they play fast, defenses have a hard time, and that's what we saw them do. Uh, with another fast defense with Calgary, they made them look slow. The ball movement was great. You have Crawford uh, and LeBlanc both have massive games as well. Uh, I think Crawford had eight, LeBlanc had nine. Um, but then you look on the defensive front, uh, they're a team that also likes to play fast. They play with pace. They really get out on hands. Uh, they, they, they try to work into doubles, and they really want to push the ball. Um, I, I thought David Brock had one of the best games I think I've ever seen David Brock play. Five caused turnovers, uh, a couple of points, seven loose balls. I bet he was a machine. And then you look in the back end, you have two goaltenders that are trying to prove themselves. We saw Dougie Jamison get his first win, made 44 saves on the way. Uh, you know, I think uh, Glenn Clark said after uh, after the game, it you know, it was a complete team win. When we played like we've asked these guys to play, it, it works well. And when they kind of go away from that game plan, it, it gets ugly. But I think overall for just about 60 minutes, they bought into that system. They bought into what that coaching staff is preaching and they look deadly. Uh, Riley O'Connor said after the game that he's a product of the environment that he is playing in. And I think you can say that with a lot of young guys within mm-hmm. that group that are starting to succeed under Glenn Clark's tutelage. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I didn't even get to mention uh, Riley O'Connor. He's a guy that I, I just, you know, I, I've seen a lot of him, you know, even in minor lacrosse in junior here, uh, you know, just east of Toronto and Whitby. He's a guy that's, uh, you know, he's had some unbelievable seasons with the Brooklyn Redmen even. I think even a couple of years ago was, uh, you know, near the top of the, the, the scoring lead. Um, but we just haven't seen him really convert that into the pro season I, I think a couple of years ago he finished with 51 we just saw him score just seven goals last year 43 points still a good season but uh this year he's really coming into his own uh he, he and like you said he he is totally totally buying into glenn clark's system and that's one thing i think you can say uh, about that unit not one guy 
is bigger than the entire the entire team. They really, really buy into the team aspect. And I, I know we always throw this around on Twitter all the time, but definitely Riley O'Connor is a big hashtag team guy. That's for sure. Oh, big team guy. <laughs> um, I was just talking with your good buddy, Clem, and uh, oh, he wants to know uh, if you're picking them to beat Georgia this weekend. <laughs> I knew he was bringing that up. I, I You know, after the game, uh, you know, I, I was texting with him and Clarky, and, and both of them said, hey, you know what to do next week. You know <laughs> what to do. So I think they forced my hand. Um, but you know what? I mean, they're going to hate me. But if, if I pick Georgia, I think there's going to be some other some other people thinking about taking that uh, that because they just they look so good. Um, and, and I mean, Georgia is obviously playing that back to back, which is maybe spoiler alert, something we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, I don't know. I think for for Clarkie and and uh, and Clem's sake. Maybe uh, I won't say anything just yet. I'll, uh, I'll have to wait to make my pick. <laughs> oh, keep them on their toes in yeah. defense. Um, one of the other great stories from the weekend uh, was on the West Coast, the debut of the San Diego Seals diving mm-hmm. in, as it were, to the marketplace in Southern California. We're not going to talk about their players actually diving into the water. That's <laughs> not something we're going to talk about. Uh, but let's talk about uh, Audie Stoss. Is he a bona fide superstar in this league? I mean, I know it's so early to say just with four games into his young uh, career in the National Lacrosse League, but but how can't you? I mean, not only is he putting up ridiculous numbers for for a freshman in the NLL, but it's the way he's scoring. You know, he's he's bull dodging through defenders, uh, scoring with one hand on his stick. It seems like there's at least one or two highlight real goals. But I mentioned it on Twitter a few. I think it was last week. Uh, not even just the, the highlight real goal. Some of his shots, he, he has one of the quickest releases I think I've ever seen uh, from a lacrosse player. And he just pick point, you know, pinpoints the top corner almost every time. Uh, he's a guy that I have, you know, the pleasure to watch him in junior and in major series as well. And, you know, being a call up with that arrows team. And, and from the first time I saw him, I knew there was something special about this kid. Uh, and it's not just the fact how good of a player he is. Um, you know, the plays that he can make on the floor. It's also his passion that he brings out in the game. I don't know if there is someone on planet Earth that likes putting the ball in the net more than Austin Stotts does. And I'm waiting for him because he's getting more comfortable with himself. His role, he is meant to be a heel. And I'm waiting for that side to come out of him. Did you suck? I've seen it when he does doesn't it with the arrows, and I've seen him done with the, with the Chiefs. That is that is when he plays his best best with a little bit of an edge, a chip on his shoulder, and playing that hero role. That's what I'm looking forward to. And I think he's that type of guy that could be that superstar, but with a little bit of a heel edge to him. Uh, over 11,000 went through the gates in San Diego for that opening game. Is this a trend we're going to continue to see, you think? I, I, I certainly think so. I think, you know, 11,000 uh, is a lot of bodies in the in the stands, but – uh, it seemed like the crowd was really into it. It seemed like, uh, you know, the, the response on, on social media was huge as well. A lot of people, you know, tweeting out some, some of the local news saying when they were talking of some fans, they, the fans themselves had no idea, how, you know, what to expect. And it was far beyond what, what they expected. I think that this is a fan base that, uh, you know, always has loved its sports and kind of just needed that taste of lacrosse and, and professional indoor lacrosse. And I think they've got it. And I think this, this is going to be, uh, you know, one of those niche markets that uh, is going to completely grab onto this team and, and support it through and through. 
They're going to get another chance this weekend when Calgary comes to town on Friday. And that kind of segues us into the topic of doubleheaders. And coming into week six, we're now going to start to see our first weekend of teams playing doubleheaders. Um, Georgia's got to do it. San Diego's got to do it. Calgary's got to do it. And we've all talked about in the NLL that teams playing the second game of a back-to-back often are more successful um, Mm -hmm. in that second game. But is this, as we start to add more teams, more players, are we going to see teams on the second end of the back-to-back maybe not be as successful? Or do you think that trend continues? You know, I think maybe for this year we see it continue a little more. But I think as we progress, you know, like you said, adding more teams, adding more leagues, I think that's where you're going to see, you know, players living in their market. So they're not going to be, you know, traveling because we've seen in, in you know, in years past where, uh, you know, there's teams that are traveling, you know, there's te- teams that are, you know, traveling as a team. They're just hopping in a bus, dra- driving just, a, a, you know, to a, a short distance for for a city whereas the other team you know they have players flying all over the place but you know technically it's a home game for them mm-hmm. so i think once that kind of rounds themselves out I, I think then the double header or the back-to-back whatever you want to call it does now start to come a, a disadvantage but i do think we see the trend continue i kind of was just going through the numbers really quickly and again last year uh more likely than not uh the team that did play the um you know the second night of a of a weekend game ended up being uh victorious uh more times than not that's uh i no hard numbers uh, you know that's that's a job maybe for evan Gemini or, or uh, graham Perot. Uh, but i didn't have enough time to to go through it but uh it definitely seems like in the national lacrosse league like you said that that second night doesn't really seem to phase teams in fact it kind of gets them to uh mesh a little more Patty, always a pleasure, my friend. Great insight, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Can't wait, buddy. Pointing him at P. Greggy on the old Twitter box. That's Pat Gregoire in our weekly chat. And the doubleheaders are going to be very interesting this weekend. And some teams get the benefit of a day between games, like Calgary. Unfortunately, Georgia and San Diego have to make the quick turnarounds to play true back-to-backs. So I think the day off will probably help Calgary. It'll be very interesting to see how San Diego handles their first back-to-back. And it'll be very interesting to see if Georgia can go into Toronto and then into New England and knock off two of their closest rivals in the standings. I loved doubleheaders. My knees didn't love doubleheaders, but I loved just because I liked just getting right back out there. That was my favorite part about playing in Man Cups is you were playing back-to-backs, getting a day off, and then back-to-backs, and you just, the blood continued to pump. You were always ready to go. Your body was sore, but once you stepped back onto the turf, instincts took over, energy took over, and by the time you were three or four shifts in, it didn't matter that you had just played last night, flown for three hours, had zero leg room, were stuck next to a guy snoring on your shoulder, haven't slept, haven't eaten, you just wanted to play lacrosse. So I always love the aspects 
of the doubleheaders. And as we continue to add more teams and we start to see more and more doubleheaders, I think we'll start to see the dynamic of teams playing the second game and back-to-back probably start to have less impact and wins. I truly think that once we get to a league where, as Patty said, guys are actually living in market so that when you're a home team, you still don't have half your guys traveling. If we can get away from that aspect, then I think the the fresher team will actually be able to take advantage of being the fresher team. But while guys are still flying in and teams have, you know, 80% of their guys having to hop on planes day of or the day before a game, it's always going to balance out. The back-to-backs aren't going to have as much effect because everybody's traveling whether you've played the night before or not. I want to go back to the San Diego Seals for a minute because as somebody who was a part of the first NLL's expansion to Southern California as a member of the very proud 1-15 in Anaheim Storm, I couldn't be happier, and I also shouldn't be surprised Because Steve Govett and Josh Gross are two of the hardest working guys. And they've both also already been through this with the Colorado Mammoth. Steve seems to be a bit of a genius when it comes to putting himself in locations where the game is sort of growing but hasn't quite hit the mainstream. And then giving the people what they need and making it blow up. Because the fact that San Diego had 11-3 inside that arena, the Pachanga Arena, as it's been newly minted and renamed, but to have 11,300 people come into their first game, some having never once seen a pro indoor game or just an indoor game of any level, to give them a game like that, a 12 10 back and forth game. It was tied after every single quarter. 3-3, And then Dan Dawson and Austin Stott score two goals, three minutes and a half apart and take the victory. And isn't it very apropos that on those two goals, it's Billings to Dawson and then Austin Stott's unassisted? two of the wily vets that Pat Merrill, the general manager, brought into this club to help lead a young and experienced expansion team. And then the guy who was going to be the face of said expansion team for many years to come. It couldn't have gone any better. And the fact that Audie Stotts put up four, including that, 12th goal that was just a typical Austin Stotts. I'm just going to shoot and snipe cheese, and the goaltender won't have a chance. It was perfect. When you win in your first game in front of your fans for the first time, 
you almost guarantee that all those people are going to come back. And they'll get to see them again this weekend because Calgary comes to town and there's already a bit of a rivalry between those two teams as Calgary handed San Diego their first ever loss. So you know the Seals are going to want to get a little redemption. And everything just is going so smooth. Not smoothly. We talked with Pat Mara last week, and he said, you know, I'm day-to-day, and I'd probably be pretty happy if we were 500 after these first two games. When you go back and look, and they go back and look, I think they'll look at it and say, you know what? We're in a really good spot right now. And sure, that Calgary game probably wasn't our best effort. We ran into the buzzsaw that is the rush in our third game. But to be able to beat a Rochester team, a very talented Rochester team, the way they did, to be able to come back and take that victory is just a perfect scripture for them. They win their first game. They win their first home game. Now they've got sort of their two biggest hurdles out of the way. Their next hurdle, play a doubleheader, back-to-back games. They do it this weekend within the division. Then they can just kind of keep marking things off the board. And the way they're playing, they're a playoff team in the West right now. They're sitting in a playoff spot. They're better than Vancouver. They're better than Colorado. And we'll see how much they've improved since that first game against Calgary this weekend. The Seals won't have to worry about the Saskatchewan rush until March. But everybody else in the National Crossing is going to have to worry about them. And they'll have to worry about Ben McIntosh as well. As the Coquitlam native is second in the NLL in goals. Tied with Austin Stotts, actually, with 13 goals. He has scored 10 in his last two games. And he's kind of having some fun playing lacrosse with a lot of guys that he's incredibly familiar with. And he and I get into this a little bit, but... When you look at that Saskatchewan roster and you look at the number of guys that played on the 2010 or 2011 Minto Cup teams in Coquitlam and Whitby and the amount of guys that are on that Rush roster is incredible. And I was talking with uh, a lacrosse dad here at Zone Control Studios where we record the OTCB podcast and We were just talking about how the Rush always seemed to get better. And Keenan did an incredible job of moving assets that at the time when he had them were at their peak value. Adam Jones, Zach Greer, Paul Rabel, Iannucci, Merrill, Corey Small. The number of guys that he has traded to acquire high round picks has been incredible. And when he has traded those guys, he realized that, sure, I could keep them here and use them as assets within my system and we could be a pretty darn good team. But I could probably trade them to a team and get high value for them. And he did that. And he continues to do that. He has three first-round picks this coming draft. 
And so when the rush continue to get better, you have to look at the job that Derek Keenan has done. But you also, one of the reasons they are so good is because of the familiarity of the people that he has brought in for the biggest part of the rush's success. All those guys, so many of those guys, were Whitby Warrior Minto Cup champions or were Coquitlam Adnack Minto Cup champions, and they generally played against each other during their championship seasons. It's phenomenal. And so Ben McIntosh, and who was a part of the Coquitlam Minto Cup team, is very familiar with a lot of those guys, and they have built an incredible family environment within that room. And in that locker room are a number of guys from BC. More importantly, the lower mainland area. New Westminster, Coquitlam, Burnaby, Poco, Surrey. And those guys, many of them, grew up watching the Vancouver Ravens when the NLL was downtown Vancouver. They've been waiting for this moment for a long, long time. So when I caught up with Ben McIntosh, the first question I asked him was, how cool was it to play lacrosse in downtown Vancouver? It's cool. I mean, it's that's the place we've been watching the Canucks play and watch the Ravens games back in the day, so it was cool to play at Rogers Arena. Obviously, you would have had a lot of family and friends there. Were you hounded for tickets from uh, a lot of people? <laughs> Actually, you know what? My parents, they, uh, they have season tickets, and uh, my family's pretty good about it because we only used to get two tickets, so I think they kind of just stopped asking. So it mainly goes <laughs> to friends at this point. Yeah, um, obviously a, a big win for you guys uh, against a very um, potent and very stingy Vancouver Warriors club. What was the, the feeling of your group at the end of that game? Yeah, I mean, we were happy to get the win. I mean, that Vancouver team, they're, they're an improved team for sure, and they're, they're playing some good lacrosse right now. They can run the ball before really well, so it was a good win for us. Uh, you're obviously playing some pretty good lacrosse, 13 goals <laughs> in three games. What's working for you? <laughs> I don't know. It seems to be... I think I'm getting some bounces for sure, but uh, no, it's just good. It's kind of the way our offense works, right? It's, it's pick your poison. If teams are going to lock off on Church or Matthews, then it opens up space for Marty and myself and Shatler, and it's kind of just the way our offense works. It's going to be, you know, one player, one game. Next game, it might be Marty or Niter or, or uh, Ryan out there who's putting up five goals. It's a pretty cool dynamic to see that offense. If you take, you know, uh, you take – Shats out of that mix. Your offense is pretty much set up of guys who are on that 2010-2011 Minto Cup run between yourselves and Whitby. Uh, that's got to be a pretty sweet dynamic to have such familiarity out the front door. <laughs> for sure. I mean, we've been together for this is our fifth year now, so it's definitely it's really cool. I mean, we got a lot of Coquitlam Whitby on both ends of the floor. It's sort of mm-hmm. a bit of a rivalry in our locker room. Is it? <laughs> to an extent, it's more jokingly, yeah. but yeah, no, definitely. How much does that play into the family aspect? Because you look at a lot of teams where, you know, you're bringing new faces in every year and you got to learn tendencies and players, um, you know, idiosyncrasies. The fact that you guys have been together for so long and so familiar, that's got to help with the chemistry and the bond within that locker room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it makes such a big difference. And just the fact that we're going on year five now for our offense, especially a couple new faces with Shatler and now Connor, but, guys can fit in and we have just have such a good dynamic group and everyone's so friendly that it really is like it's a brotherhood there uh no jeff cornwall for you guys this year how's travis fit into the dynamic 
Yeah, it's like Jeff never left now. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, honestly, Travis is a great guy. Both Cornwalls, they're they're fantastic. And Travis is so good at getting the ball up the floor. He's a really smart player. So it's great having him around. Obviously, this Rush team is a team built for a long-term success. What's been the biggest focus uh, of Derek Keenan towards you guys this year? Yeah, he just, uh, you know, he, he knows that a lot of teams – their game plans to beat us in transition, right? We like our chances when we can play five on five. So teams are going to run on us and teams have ran on us. And a lot of the games that we've lost in the past have been lost in transition. So we got to make sure we're getting our guys back and we have to make sure that, you know, we're playing five on five across. There's a lot of unselfishness within this group, whether it be transitioning from defense to offense or in five on five sets, where does that come from? Sorry, sorry, can you repeat that one? Yeah, there's a lot of unselfishness within your group, whether it's the defensive guys transitioning the ball up the floor or just in five-on-five set offenses. Where does that unselfish mindset come from? I just think everyone on our team, they're so competitive, right? No one cares about, you know, their points or their cause turnovers or loose balls. Everyone just wants to win, and, and we have a lot more fun when we're winning. So I just think it boils down to, you know, just that competitiveness. And we got each other's backs, you know. We had, there's not one guy on our offense that, it wouldn't go out there and be the pick setter every single play if you get zero points, right? You'd rather do that and, and win a game than go out there and put in four or five goals. You talk about the competitiveness. How competitive is, are the guys on social media? Because I saw about eight snaps from all you guys from the Western Bayshore out your window <laughs> taking the exact same snap. I think you guys have to have a, a pretty good competitiveness within that whole group. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, none of us compete to Jeremy Thompson, though. He, no, everyone's that's true. Always, everyone's always bugging him to get tagged in his photos or in his stories <laughs> to hopefully add a few followers. But uh, no, it was just funny. We kind of all we all opened up our patio doors and poked our heads out at the same time. So there's about six or seven in that one, that one little five minute window there. <laughs> uh, speaking of Jeremy Thompson, obviously a lot of the talk to the lacrosse world is everything that happened in Philadelphia. Um, what was your thought when you heard what happened with Lyle? Yeah, it's just, it's clearly a guy who's uneducated. I mean, the guy doesn't know, he doesn't know the heritage, he doesn't know the history of lacrosse. And it's, it's, it's a bad look for the sport, right? You see, all, it seems lacrosse has gotten a few times now where it's just the, the, the stuff that's getting out to the public just seems to be negative. So you don't like seeing it, but I mean, everyone within lacrosse, you backs the Thompsons and they Absolutely. love the Thompsons there. Jeremy's one of the best guys I've ever met. I haven't spent as much time with Lyle or Miles or Jerome, but I mean, they're all, they're all um, from what I've heard, fantastic guys. So they're great ambassadors for the sport and they're, you know, they're stars in this league. So their voice matters. And I think Lyle's handled it really well, actually. Absolutely. That's very well said. Uh, your game has grown over the past years. How confident are you in, in your game right now? Yeah, no, it's, been good. I mean, it's just being able to play with the same guys and playing with Mark and playing with Church, Marty, and Niter. It's just, it's so much fun. And I think it's, you know, I'm a, a little bit of uh, success is based on the systems you're in. And I was lucky enough to get drafted to a team that plays the way that Saskatchewan plays. So, uh, no, I, I'm excited about where we are and where we're going and individually and as a team. Uh, big game against the Rochester Nighthawks this weekend. You guys are looking to extend your winning streak to three games. Rochester is a very talented team and a team you guys know quite well with some of your experiences in the past. What's the message from Keenan uh, this weekend going against a Rochester club that, that you guys know quite well? Yeah, I think they're, um, 
I think in, in you know, at least two of the three games we've played, we've kind of let our foot off the gas a little bit. Like Vancouver, we got up by five pretty quick. And, you know, we, we maybe thought we were, you know, we we're all going to run away with this one. And Vancouver put three goals in on us in two minutes. So we know we can't, uh, we can't do that, especially against Rochester, right? They're going to be, uh, they're going to be a tough opponent. And if we don't play for 60 minutes, then uh, we're not going to win that game. Is that foot off the gas? I feel like that's sort of been something you guys have had issues with in the past where you guys are so potent and you guys score in such big bunches that you do gain leads and then you do take that foot off the gas. Is that something that concerns your group? Uh, I don't know if concerns is the right word, but it's something that needs to be addressed. That's for sure. And I don't know what, I mean, lacrosse is a game of of momentum and swings and it's going to happen, right? Like no matter what you do, no matter how much you talk about it, that's just the way lacrosse is. Um, but no, it's something we need to address when you, when you maybe put three or four in, you get on a bit of a run and you know, the other team scores, you got to be able to kill their momentum by, you know, making a big play or going out there and scoring a goal just to kill it. I think that's such a big part of the game. You guys didn't make too many, uh, personnel changes, but one big one has been the addition of Jeremy Tuivi to your defensive grouping as a coach with the loss of, uh, Jimmy Quinlan, how does he fit in? Obviously, he's very familiar with the dynamic of the Coquitlam-Whitby relationship. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, J- Jeremy's a great guy. He- he's fun to have in the locker room, and he fits it well. Quinlan was the same way. He's, yeah. He brightens up the locker room. He's a smart guy, and uh, Talibi fits that role perfectly. He comes in. He-, he he knows what he's talking about. He's fun to have around, so, no, he's been great. Does he talk as much trash as Jimmy? <laughs> he hasn't yet maybe that's just going to take a few more games but definitely not yet <laughs> uh speaking of trash talking how much goes back and forth between you and your brother during a uh, family work meeting <laughs> no you know what not a ton i don't pay a ton of attention to uh to who's checking me out there but no there's there there's been a few times there was one time specifically last year i remember where we got into a little bit but it's all good it's all fine after the game you uh we were talking before we went on air uh, you're working for the family business doing kitchen remodeling? Yes. Yep. How, how's that going? What's what's the biggest stress in your day? <laughs> the biggest stress is when kitchens are actually going in in the install because if you ordered something wrong, then you got some, some pretty PO'd customers, and then i got to deal with that. <laughs> Have you uh, had any lacrosse guys come your way for business? Yeah. You know what? We did uh, Lowen's. Uh, we've done his kitchen. Um, yeah. We had the Davis – Aaron Davis came by to – to do it he actually never moved forward with us we're still a little bitter about that but <laughs> um, no davis where's jared davis these days jared davis lives downtown i was actually at his place in march last year i went he lives with uh brasha oh yeah downtown. so yeah no i uh i pop by they got a great spot right by the arena i think some of the vancouver warrior guys live in that same building actually yeah i think they do actually i've seen those snapchats <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, Benny, a pleasure as always, man. It's it's a treat to watch you play. Uh, you're on fire these days. Keep it up, except when you play Colorado, and good luck this weekend, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Teddy. 23 points in three games for Ben McIntosh, including 10 goals in his last two games. Thankfully for myself and Mammoth fans, Ben McIntosh and the Rush don't play Colorado until late March. So can be prepared and I don't have to worry about him terrorizing my goal sheet for a few more months but the rush continue to terrorize the National Lacrosse League they are the top team in the west sitting at 2-1 obviously Calgary San Diego have played and even Vancouver have played more games but the rush have the better winning percentages 
So they stand atop the standings where a lot of people expect them to be. A lot of that success has to be laid out and given to Derek Keenan, who is a just one of a handful of coaches that have connections to the golden triangle of lacrosse. Toronto, Buffalo, Rochester. And if you go through the NLL coaching list and look at all the guys who are coaching, it is incredible to note that 74% of the coaches in the NLL right now have played in the NLL. Further to that, nine of the 11 head coaches and five of the 11 GMs are all former players. Shout out Grand Perro and NLL Fact of the Day for that juicy nuggy. Now, we go back to the Golden Triangle. And this list is all thanks to uh, my former coach and a guy I have a ton of respect for. Uh, I've been on the show many times before, Paul Day. Um, Bandits, Kayhawks, Toronto Rock, players and coaches from the 90s and 2000s. Paul Day, Ian Rubel, Eddie Como, Sean Ferris, Dan Latasur, Rich Kilgore, Tavares, Kruger, Pat Coyle, Kurt Miloski, Chris Gill, Reggie Thorpe in New York, Glenn Clark, Derek Keenan, Josh Sanderson, Pat Merrill, Bill Greer, all of those guys have at some point been a part of Toronto, Buffalo, Rochester. That is unreal. What goes even further is the Les Bartley connection. And Paul Day, Eddie, and Derek all have connections either playing for or coaching with Les Bartley. And then, to blow your minds even more, the amount of guys that Eddie, Derek, and Paul have coached that are now coaches. Paul Day has coached Mike Hazen, Pat O'Toole, Micah Kersey, Kurt Miloski, Tim Sudan, Chris Gill, Merrill, Greer, Sanderson, JT, Blaine Manning, Jimmy Quinlan, Sean Williams, Glenn Clark, Ian Rubel. Eddie Como has coached Latticeur, Rubel, Gill, Coyle, Williams, Hazen, O'Toole, Akersey, Sanderson, Greer, Merrill, Rob Williams, and Glenn Clark. For Derek Keenan, the exact same guys as Eddie Como throw in Jeff McComb. It is incredible. And so for all of these people, myself included, have said this. When the NLL continues to expand, we all wonder where they're going to find coaches, GMs, players, goalies, broadcasters, all of it. Just look to our past. Look to guys that have gone through the rigors of NLL life and you will find coaches. Obviously, they have to have a certain pedigree and a certain personality trait to be a successful coach. Case in point, Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player ever, terrible coach. So you're not just going to take me because I played in Rochester and make me an NLL coach. 
I wouldn't be good at it. Let me GM. Cool. I don't want to be an NLL coach. I'd rather be a GM. But if we look to our past, we will be able to find a ton of success and very qualified people. And so when the news came out late Monday morning that the New York expansion NLL team had selected and hired Reggie Thorpe to become their first ever head coach and general manager, I couldn't be more happy and I couldn't be more thrilled for a great guy and a former teammate. But again, another guy who's gone through the triangle. Strangely enough, he was at one point a player and a general manager at the same time in the NLL when he was playing with Rochester. But I couldn't be happier for a guy like Reggie Thorpe. The guy has put in his time, coached Junior A lacrosse in Canada with Six Nations, took him to a Minto Cup. He's coached women's college. He's working with U.S. box lacrosse. He's working with the U.S. national team. He's coaching the women, assistant coaching Gary Gate with the Syracuse women's team. Once that season's done, he will officially move into his role with the New York NLL team. Please, Reggie, pick the Saints. Make it the Saints, Reg. 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 No, Reg. Reg, listen. Listen, Reg. Everybody wants you to call them the Saints. Please, Call them the New York Saints. Thank you. But to see the connection that all these guys have is outstanding and remarkable. From the Les Bartley tree to the golden triangle of players that played Rochester, Buffalo, Toronto, we have found our generation of lacrosse coaches and the guys that are behind the benches right now are some of the best this game has ever seen. And I jokingly said to Paul, it's great that we can get all these great players to become coaches and GMs. Can we please start getting some of the UX players to hop in the broadcast booth along with us? Because we need you. We're going to need you. If you've ever sat and watched game film and thought, man, I could do that, call me. Let's get you into a booth. And let's get you some chops. Because we are going to need more broadcasters with lacrosse, NLL, high-level pro ball experience. Trust me, we are going to need you. Week 5 was a fantastic week of lacrosse in the National Lacrosse League. Let's focus on the positive. Let's continue to move forward. Let's continue to educate and learn from our past mistakes. And let's help everybody understand and learn how great this sport is, the story and history of this great sport, and more importantly, the story and the history of the great players that are playing it and that players that came before us. Because without them, we are nothing and we are not here today. So thank you to the creator for giving us this game and thank you to all that play it continuously with heart, with passion, and with remembrance of those who came before us and allowing us to play the game of lacrosse. Find me on Twitter at 
off the crossbar, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. A full weekend of games, Friday to Sunday, 7 on the schedule, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon. Get your tickets, take a friend, get your laptop charged up, download the BR Live app, put it on your phone, your computer, your tablet, take it everywhere you go. You will not want to miss a minute of the action. Until next time, enjoy the games, and as always, be excellent to each other. Oh.